Hello, and welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana. And I am Kervin. And today we will be discussing the big geopolitical events of the week. But first, we want to let everybody know that the fourth installment of Insightful Inquiries will be released this Sunday on April 3rd. And here is a quick sneak peek. So your question was, uh, do you think that we have improved the mental health and the tools for these folks doing this mission? And I would say yes and no. There's an Air Force psychologist named Dr. Wayne Chappelle who's done a lot of research over the last decade and published lots of papers on this topic. He's, he's probably the first person that initially documented that PTSD occurs for you know, RPA aircrew and intelligence analysts. Initially, I want to say it was 2014, he assessed it at about 4.3% of the people that he looked at had PTSD-like symptoms. A few years later, he conducted another a similar survey and found that about 6.1% of the people surveyed experienced PTSD-like symptoms. So the Air Force particularly is aware of the problem. They have implemented these things called human performance teams that are supposed to be embedded in remotely piloted aircraft squadrons. There's, they have a clearance. They're supposed to be there to help. They could talk about mission-specific things, you know, what happened, what went wrong, how are you feeling about it, all that kind of stuff. That was implemented after Chappelle's, you know, first survey. And then the second survey showed higher numbers of PTSD. So obviously the next episode has to do a lot with mental health within the military community, obviously. Yeah, especially in the uh, the RPA, the remotely piloted aircraft community or drone community. Yeah. I know that hits close to home for you because you did do stuff with that. I, I don't know how much to say or what to say yeah, about no, it, but it I know, was, I I mean, know it was a, something I know something that, you know, resonated with you. The whole yeah, topic. It was like a you tough knew. conversation to have, but it, it was still great because we both had the same sort of careers. Um, yeah. So, so that was fun to catch up on that stuff, but it is a really of important course. episode on the mental health issues that go on in that community. Yes. Um, looking forward to that episode for sure. But as always, we have a lot of stuff to get to. So can you let me know what's going on in the world today? Yeah, you know, we'll do the uh, Russia-Ukraine update, as yep. always. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a update on Belarus and where they stand. And we're going to talk about India's decision to support Russia. Uh, there was a UN helicopter that was shot down in Congo. Uh, update on France's retreat from Mali. There were also multiple shootings in Israel in the last week. Uh, Yemen oh, no. and Saudi Arabia uh, held ceasefire negotiations for Ramadan. And in this week's oh. Histories, Mysteries. Histories, Mysteries. Margareta Zele. And we'll get also into who she is. Mara. Oh. No, you can, you can do it. No worries. Mara Hari. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, okay. I, I gave it up. Sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, that was supposed to be a surprise. I didn't know. No, not at all. Um, well, as always, let's let's just get right into it. What is going on in Russia and Ukraine? Give us the update with that. Well, this week we had uh, peace talks between Russia and Ukraine, and those have really ratcheted up over the week, or have they? <laughs> Russian President Vladimir Putin stated Russian troops would pull back from Ukraine's capital city, Kiev. However, most analysts believe this is a stalling tactic in order for Russian troops to regroup and formulate a better plan of attack on the city. 
I'm kind of inclined to believe that since he signed in, you know, conscripting 134,000 new soldiers like that. That seems more believable that it's just him biding his time. But (laughs) is it that they just don't believe anything Putin says or is there precedence for Putin doing this? I guess I kind of answered that question already, but well, Give us uh, your input now. <laughs> so those those analysts, and I appreciate that in uh, and and getting those numbers out for this the conscription of, of soldiers. So it, you everybody can see they're trying to add more soldiers to mm-hmm. to the ranks because uh, they have been sound failing. Like you're trying to pull back if you're trying to ramp up your numbers here, buddy. <laughs> so analysts, myself included, uh, would point to Syria as the test case for everything Russia will do in Ukraine. Uh, For the most part, the tactics have been eerily similar from massive disinformation campaigns to the bombings of hospitals holding civilians in need of care. Uh, As well, since 2012, Russia and the United States have held multiple peace talks and even agreed to some ceasefires in Syria. However, those talks were mainly used to regroup and focus troops in other locations in Syria, much like analysts believe is happening now in Ukraine. So I caution everyone to be a little skeptical that these talks will lead to real peace in the region. Well, how have the peace talks really been going this week then? Uh, The talks have not gone well. To include some unverified reports of possible poisoning of some of the mediators. So earlier this month, Russian billionaire Roman Abramovich and Ukrainian negotiators suffered a suspected poisoning after meetings in Kiev as part of talks to end the war in Ukraine. Now, the mediators experienced peeling skin, red eyes, loss of eyesight and headaches. All parties flew to Istanbul in Turkey to be treated. But as of right now, it is unclear who was behind the attack or what type of poison might have been used. I ha- I had read that they were experiencing poisoning symptoms. Are they okay? Yeah, they are on the mend, but it looks like those Soviet era tactics are once again being used. History continues to repeat itself. And as they say, the universe will keep trying to teach you the same lessons until you learn. But <laughs> so anyways, has Belarus joined Russia in Ukraine? Well, while the government has been keen to stay out of the fighting militarily, Belarusian Mm -hmm. dissidents have actually aligned with the Ukrainian military to help push back Russian troops. So it's not going to be long before Belarus will join Russia in Ukraine. And does that change the minds of NATO countries avoiding entering the war to help Ukraine? Uh, I don't think so. NATO continues to push sanctions as the, the best way to defeat Russia. And while sanctions can be useful, Russia has options outside of NATO to help fund the continuation of the war. I think, honestly, everyone's more scared of China. <laughs> this this group right honest. here included. Yeah, to be honest, I think everybody is more scared about China. Um, well, what are the likely countries that may help finance this? Well, we all know who we just talked about. So we know where China yeah. stands. I keep jumping the gun. I'm like, yeah, no, you're <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you actually put the work in uh, that you are someone who educates yourself on all of this. So it's it's good to hear that come through here. Well, I don't know if you know this, but it's kind of my job now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so China's obvious, right? 
Yeah. Uh, in uh, elsewhere in the world, India's government is considering a proposal from Russia to use a system developed by the Russian Central Bank for bilateral payments uh, because the nation has expressed interest in buying oil and weapons from a Russian country reeling from sanctions. Well, how would that even work? Right now, the plan involves Indian rupee to Russian ruble payments using Russia's system for transfer of financial messages, or SPFS. Uh, this system is similar to the SWIFT system that Russia has been banned from utilizing. Now, no final decision has been taken, and the matter will probably be discussed when Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov arrives in India for a two-day visit on Thursday. Won't there then be sanctions on India then? Uh, it is very likely, and Russian central bank officials are likely to discuss those details. Uh, but also the Reserve Bank of India regularly meets with executives from its banking system to discuss similar matters regarding Russia. Are there any not-so-obvious countries helping Russia financially? Well, while Western European countries have outwardly stated that they are in solidarity on massive sanctions on Russia to hold the nation accountable for its unprovoked invasion of Ukraine, they're not actions, according to them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, not according to Putin. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. But yes. Their actions have been anything but consistent. So Australia, Britain, Canada, and the United States have banned the import of Russian oil purchases in the wake of Russian aggression. But companies in Germany, Greece, and Italy have continued to purchase Russian oil to help decrease the steady rise in energy prices. They definitely appear to be stuck between a rock and a hard place. Because, I mean, what do you do? Yeah, you and it's a tough time for many of those European nations that got involved with Russian oil and natural gas. Yeah. So this has been the main cause for concern of the uh, Nord Stream 2 pipeline in Germany. Analysts identified that nations relying on Russian energy supplies would be less inclined to promote harsh sanctions towards Russia. And we're seeing really? that play out. Well, I mean, obviously, if you're getting your energy sources from Russia, you're not going to be like, yeah, sanction them. <laughs> like, yeah, and they were warned. Obvious. I mean, we saw it coming. That's it's just obvious. Um, so. Moving on from the Russo-Ukrainian war, what happened in Congo with a UN hel helicopter this week? So Congo's army this week announced rebels in the eastern portion of the country shot down a United Nations helicopter carrying eight peacekeepers and UN observers. Uh, there were no survivors. What were the UN peacekeepers doing in Congo besides attempting to keep peace? Well, the helicopter was carrying out reconnaissance for the U.N. peacekeeping mission in Congo. Uh, it was flying along with a, another helicopter. The U.N. peacekeepers on the helicopter were assessing the movements of populations that had been attacked by a rebel group in order to coordinate humanitarian assistance to those people. Wait, so what's going on in Congo? Well, several armed groups are vying for control of its mineral-rich lands, um, in 2012, the M23 rebels, that's the group that attacked the UN helicopter, controlled large areas of eastern Congo, including the capital of Goma. The M23 group was driven out of Congo in 2013 and chased into the neighboring countries of Uganda and Rwanda. Uh, its fighters have since come back to wage attacks. 
So since December, the security in the country has deteriorated despite military operations carried out by the Congolese security and defense forces. Uh, I do also want to add that the M23 rebels have denied any involvement in the attack and the UN continues to investigate the, cr- the crash. Well, our hearts go out to all of those souls that were on that flight and to their families and friends and colleagues. Staying in Africa, what is the latest on France's military operations in Mali? Well, as we spoke about last month, France officially pulled out or retreated, as the French do, of Mali. He can say he can say that because he's French. I feel like you've said this before on another episode of the podcast, and I I interjected again at that point. He can say it. He's French. He can say that. It's it's the joke I like to use all the time when talking about all my French. All the people. time, yes, all the time. Uh, but uh, you know, they pulled out of Mali, and that allowed the Russian mercenary Wagner Group to take over. Uh, since then. The number of Wagner personnel in Mali has increased from 40 to over 1,000. That's a huge leap. That's a big, that's big increase a there. Lot. And that's yeah. uh, all of that is following French President Emmanuel Macron's announcement in February that multiple obstructions by Mali had made it impossible for France to continue its missions there. So what is next for France on the African continent? Well, France is pulling all pooling all their resources around Niger to continue French counterterrorism operations on the continent. Now, as of right now, France is reorganizing troops in the Western Sahel, uh, which is the Western portion of Africa, to continue the counterterrorism fight after a military coup in Mali has made it difficult for the French forces to remain effective in the region. While Niger already acts as an important air hub for most Western forces, the country will now be placed at the heart of France's counterterrorism operation with a new command center to be set up in the wonderful capital city of Niamey, which I do love very much. He d- he does. He does. <laughs> now, lost in all this are the people of Mali, who are dealing with increased violence in the region since France decided to move troops to Niger. Uh, Central Mali militants have stepped up their use of sieges and other forms of collective punishment against communities resisting their rule. Uh, Aid groups have requested nearly 700 million U.S. dollars to meet the growing needs of those communities. But the war in Ukraine and increasing droughts in other regions of Africa have taken extensively from the pool of aid money available to nations reeling from increased terror attacks on the continent. Speaking of increased terror attacks, can you give an update on the crisis in Israel? Um, Of course. Israel is dealing with multiple shooting deaths over the last week. Uh, On Tuesday of this week, five people were shot dead by a Palestinian gunman near Tel Aviv. Uh, The Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade, which is associated with the Palestinian Fatah movement, took responsibility for the attack and said it was, quote-unquote, a clear message written in blood in response to the Negev summit. And what was the Negev summit? Uh, It's an annual summit conference, with its primary purpose being to establish an international alliance against the nuclear program of Iran. So then the Palestinian Fatah movement is aligned with Iran, correct? Uh, yes, and great pronunciation on all of that. Uh, they do have aligning beliefs that Israel is the cause of all problems in the Middle East. 
Iran mm. seeks an independent Palestinian state established at Israel's expense while also using the Palestinian nationalist movement to export its own Islamic revolution. So another week without peace in the Middle East. Well, at, at least in Israel, Yemen and Saudi Arabia have started talks on an agreement of peace for the Ramadan season. What are the dates for Ramadan this year? Uh, as I'm sure you already know, uh, mm-hmm. maybe the listeners don't, Islam yeah. uses a lunar calendar. Uh, yep. So the dates are different each year. And this year, Ramadan starts on the evening of Saturday, April 2nd, lasting 30 days and ending at sundown on Sunday, May 1st. Now, the Houthi rebels in Yemen have refused to enter in this peace agreement, Saudi officials released a statement announcing the cessation of military operations in Yemen beginning Wednesday, March 30th. Now, only time will tell how this plays out, but I highly doubt many observing Muslims will even be interested in conflict during the holy month of Ramadan. As someone who studied Arabic with practicing Muslim instructors during Ramadan, not a lot gets done during the fasting period. (laughs) Uh, The time should be used for prayer, reflection, and enhancing community engagement. Uh, While violence does still occur, it is nowhere near the scale of violence during a typical month in war-torn Middle Eastern countries. So then, would it be safe to say that while peace may not be on the horizon, the violence may diminish, at least for the next month? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, The conflict is not over, it's far from over, uh, but we should see less violence over the next month, especially in that region. Well, hopefully that leads to more productive peace negotiations. Um, Oh my gosh, wait a second. Is it time for History's Mysteries? (laughs) It certainly is. And while this will be the first episode of April, uh, we are recording in March. And so we're still wanting to discuss the great women spies in history. And this week we discuss maybe the most well-known female spy in the history of humankind. Mm Mm-hmm. Her name is Margarita Zelle, or the name most commonly associated with her. Would you like to say the name, Tiana? Yes, because I said it earlier too soon. Matahari. <laughs> All right. A great, uh, this is a great story. Yeah. It's tragic, but but it's also just interesting, I find it. Um, well, I'm, well, we'll get into it and then I'll start interjecting my stuff. Because some of the stuff that you put in there, I wasn't even aware of. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. Let's talk about this. So she was born on August 7th in 1876 in the Netherlands. Uh, but by the end of the 19th century, her family kind of fell apart. And she was sent to live with her godfather in the Dutch city of Sneek. At that point, she studied to be a kindergarten teacher, but when the headmaster began to visibly flirt with her, she was removed from the institution by her godfather. At 18, she answered an advertisement in a Dutch newspaper placed by Dutch colonial army captain Rudolf McLeod, who was looking for a wife. Newspapers, the original Tinder. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that is so wild to me on many levels. Yeah. Bold enough to take out an ad requesting a wife. And for a woman to see that ad and think, yep, that's my man right there. Well, I think, you know, it was probably more commonplace than you think, you know? I mean, now, nowadays, somebody, nowadays, if somebody placed an ad, they'll be like, "Mm, avoid (laughs) that guy. He's going to bury you in the basement somewhere. 
never you're never going to be heard from again <laughs> yeah i don't I, think I, I definitely don't think it would go over too well in the 21st century and i agree with you on that one and honestly overall the marriage was a disaster oh my god you mean it didn't work out yeah, here's the... Uh, it wasn't a love match? I don't understand. Lesson learned, all of our listeners, yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't, don't take out an ad ads. and don't answer it. Yeah, don't answer and don't take out an ad if you're looking for a significant other. Now, I don't think he put this in the ad, but uh, Rudolph was an alcoholic and he was also physically abusive. Whoa. So she quickly left him. And in correspondence with her relatives in the Netherlands in 1897, she revealed her new artistic name, Matahari. Okay. Now in... I, 19- how, I wish I knew how she came up with that. Yeah, that would be... That'd be an interesting deep dive to go into. I mean, obviously, it's like a... I mean, at least the first part, the Mata, is probably a shortening of her first name, but I don't know right. where Hari comes from. Okay. We'll have to, Sorry. We'll have I'm to going off. go I'm into like a deep thinking dive. About it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Continue. You so can continue in... now. I'll allow it. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> in 1903, she moved to Paris, where she performed as a circus horse rider using the name Lady McLeod. But by 1904, with her stage name Matahari, she began to rise to prominence as an exotic dancer. Uh, she then fell in love with a Russian pilot that was described as an intense sexual relationship. Uh, Captain Vadim Maslov was shot down and badly wounded in 1916. And this is where Matahari's spy story begins. All right, let's get into it then. How? How did oh, she become so, a spy? So Matahari was so in love with Maslov or in lust, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to go with love. Yeah, let's go with love. Yes, that she requested permission to visit her lover at the hospital where he was staying near the front lines. This is in World War One. Uh-huh. Uh, upon approval, she was met by agents from France's external military intelligence agency who told her that she would be allowed to see Maslow if she agreed to spy for France. Huh. Once she agreed to be a spy for France, the French asked that she spy on the German crown prince Frédéric Wilhelm. Previously, she had performed several times for the crown prince, whom she had built a rapport with, and the French believed she might be able to obtain information by seducing the crown prince for military secrets. Well, the French were unaware that the crown prince did not have much to do with the running of the Fifth Army. So they offered her one million francs if she would seduce him and provide France with good intelligence about German plans. Uh, During her attempts to gain access to the crown prince, she apparently offered to share French secrets with Germany in exchange for money. Now, it's unknown if this was a ploy to gain access or if she was indeed a double agent. In 1917, radio messages to Berlin described the helpful activities of a German spy codenamed H-21, whose biography so closely matched Matahari that it it was patently obvious that Agent H21 could only be her. And French intelligence intercepted those messages and put two and two together. Now, the messages were in a code that German intelligence knew had already been broken by French intelligence, suggesting that the messages were contrived to have her arrested by the French. 
And that was successful. So on 13 February 1917, Matahari was arrested in her room at the Hotel Elise Palace on the Champs d'Elysees in Paris. Uh, she was put on trial on 24 July, accused of spying for Germany and consequently causing the deaths of at least 50,000 soldiers. Although the French and British intelligence suspected her of spying for Germany, neither could produce definite evidence against her. Now, she is quoted as responding to the allegations with the phrase, A harlot? Yes, but a traitorous? Never. Due to the state of France at the time, the new French government attempted to make an example of the person they believed to be the cause of French losses in World War I. That scapegoat would be Matahari. She was executed by a firing squad of 12 French soldiers just before dawn on 15 October 1917. It's believed that she was not bound and refused to be blindfolded and then defiantly blew a kiss to the firing squad. Although news reports following her execution claimed she had admitted spying for Germany, Matahari made no such admission. She maintained throughout her ordeal that she had never been a German spy. And adding to her mystery, the Museum of Anatomy in Paris lost her embalmed head as early as 1954, and they have still been unable to find the rest of her body, which was donated in 1918. There is an awful lot to unpack there. <laughs> Go for it. Well, I mean, first of all, she was manipulated into becoming a spy to begin with. Like they used her affection for her for Maslov to get her to even agree to spy for them to begin with. So did they not train her? Like if they didn't train her and they just kind of sent her out there to seduce people to get information, maybe she did offer from French secrets to the Germans to get something because I mean if she didn't know any better yeah you were I'm you make saying, a I'm, great point because they the French obviously just wanted to use her uh, her sedu her seduction methods in order to gain insight into her feminine wiles yeah and, and they used yes. her they definitely used her and and then it says they didn't even have Neither of them could produce any evidence against her, but they still decided to use her as a scapegoat, which is absurd. And all this stuff was only released in 2017, 100 years after she had died. They'd be like, yeah, it's 100 years on. We messed up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's obvious that they messed up. And, and 100 years later, they understand that. Uh, and at I least also now we understand it, I guess. Yeah. I also read that um, for her trial, um, she tried to get Maslov to um, to to uh, go on the stand for her, but he flat out refused because he was so bitter and bittered and ticked off about the loss of his eyesight and his injuries. He was so mad. He refused to go on the stand and testify for her and basically told her, I don't care one way or the other if you're convicted and she collapsed on the ground in devastation that her supposed soulmate love of her life just bailed on her because he doesn't have eyesight anymore yeah that was so that's i'm just gonna a be. terrible turn of events and it, it didn't I'm, help that it was a, a time in france where the the french military was having a lot of losses in world yeah. war one and a yeah. new government came into power because of that and they yeah. had to make someone into the scapegoat 
And she yeah. was unfortunately the person. And it was her. Well, well, we did. I mean, and obviously the <laughs> the fact that they lost her head. That to me I is even know, the wildest thing. Well, her family. Well, after she was, you know, executed by firing squad, nobody from her family came to claim her body. And it was like law then that you if nobody claims your body, your body goes to medical research. But and that's exactly just, what happened. Yeah. So nobody claimed her body. And so they took it and apparently embalmed parts of her and then lost it. Like, how do you lose? Lose. I'm using that term very loosely. I'm. It's in quotes. You guys can't see my air quotes, but Kervin can see me air quoting. Has <laughs> anyone checked the uh, museum in Britain? They, they seem to get a lot of things. Or or the friggin' what's it called? What's the name of the museum? That, the Hermitage in Russia. Oh yeah. A lot a lot of the stuff they have they acquired during World War II. Maybe they jacked her body. Could be. Vlad, talk to us. You got that? You got yeah. that head? We need to see that yeah. head. We would like to see her head, please. <laughs> oh my gosh. Where is this going? We've got to stop this. All right. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So, is there anything else on your radar for this week? Well, after those uh, last few statements I made, I oh my think we're out of time. <laughs> yeah, he is. You are cut off. You are done. As always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. As we mentioned in the beginning, head over to Apple or Spotify podcasts and give us a five-star review. Those help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And as always, if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please subscribe to our community at oakwindanalytics.com. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there. <laughs>